Uh, 25 and four regular season, but but let's be honest, it it all comes down to this week for the James Madison women's basketball team. Welcome in. Today is Tuesday, March 12th. Another edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod underway by the Daily News Record. I'm Greg Medea, the JMU football beat writer at the paper. Joined alongside today by Duke's basketball beat writer Shane Metlin. We'll get to Cody Elliott in a little bit on the prep scene. Uh, but right now we're going to start with JMU women's basketball because the Dukes, uh, they've had this tremendous regular season. But when you're a mid-major... There is an emphasis on what you do in your conference tournament. Shane, let's just start. How you doing? Getting ready for a trip to beautiful Newark, Delaware. Yep, yep. Uh, heading out there tomorrow to uh, follow this JMU women's team through their tournament run. Maybe tournament runs, depending on how things go for them. And uh, so we'll, we'll get to see what they can do in the postseason. You know, what's interesting about Newark, it's not Newark, mm-hmm. like like in my home state of New Jersey. Uh, it's Newark. I always, I always got that confused when I was younger, and uh, still do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have the in-laws in the New Jersey and Delaware region, so I, I learned that a few years ago. And um, I actually, I do pronounce it correctly. It's, it took took a little bit of practice, but uh, I've got a lot of uh, UD alums on that side of the family, so I, I got it down. Yeah, so the, the tournament is at the Bob Carpenter Center there at the University of Delaware. I, I, you've been to Delaware a few times, uh, not this year, this year once, twice? I've been up there, not for uh, professional not for capacity right now, but um, yeah, I, I'm familiar with the area and yeah. um, will try to uh, do my best going across the uh, bridge across the Susquehanna and not get blown off the road and get up there safely. Yeah, I was last up there uh, 2017 football season. JMU won at Delaware. It was a Saturday afternoon game uh, up there at, at, at Delaware. So anyway, let's get into it with the JMU women. 25-4 and overall, 17-1 and finish in the CAA. Their RPI is at number 25. ESPN, the bracketologist Charlie Cream has them as a 12 seed. That was as of this morning. It may have changed. I don't know. I haven't checked since this morning. Uh, but they uh, have them as a 12 seed playing in Charlotte against Arizona State. Let's just, let's just kind of start with this. The momentum JMU carries into the CAA tournament, are they confident, overconfident, just right? How do you kind of assess where they are at mentally after kind of just running rough shot through the league? They're confident. I mean, it's kind of hard to say if they're overconfident or not until you see how they come out and play in this first game. But, yeah, they, they're confident and deservedly so. Um, I think they feel like they are healthy, even they had a couple scares in the last uh game there Kamaya Smalls uh injured her hand but um turns out it was just a jammed finger she's getting that taken care of um said she's handling the ball fine right now so um I think they're confident she's going to be pretty much 100% for this conference tournament and you know they they are um they're confident and they're fired up now this afternoon after I went and talked to them. And they, I say uh, you're 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 just you're literally just from over at the convocation center. Yeah. Rushed over to the DNR uh, to get here to do the podcast. What was what was kind of the, the feeling at practice? Uh, I know oh, Sean O'Regan had his presser earlier today. Uh, what was kind of the feeling as you, you talked to some of them today? Um, well, the uh, feeling just here immediately was uh, went and talked to them probably about an hour or so after the CAA awards came out. And uh, JMU was well represented, as you would expect. But the uh, probably the biggest surprise was that Kamaya Smalls was not the CAA Player of the Year. Um, even 
heard a rumor that she got a few third place votes. Um, and yeah, the JMU people were not happy about that. Um, you know, even I talked to Lexi Barrier, who's basically Kamaya's best friend, teammate, and been with her for three years here. And, you know, she's about as calm a person as you're ever going to talk to. And she basically was like doing the interview through gritted teeth, like making sure she didn't say anything that people would be upset with her about. But um, she was upset. Kamaya is taking it in stride, but you know, you can tell everybody around them that I don't know how wise it was for the uh, coaches in the league to uh, go ahead and give Jamie a little more motivation heading into this thing, but they, they definitely did. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's an interesting uh, point. The Dukes will get the winner of tomorrow's opening round game between Elon and Hofstra. As far as how they're preparing for both teams, they've seen them twice already in a league play uh, each. How, how are they kind of prepping for both opponents when you're kind of waiting for that unknown? It's one of the perks of being the top seed, but it's also, you know, you, you don't know who you're getting until until the day before. Yeah, I talked to Sean O'Regan about that earlier today um, when he had his press conference. And he said he kind of likes that situation because it allows them to kind of focus on what they do. But he also goes into this tournament they're working on their zone offense, their man offense. They're working on different things. Um, so, you know, if they presumably do get by the first round, which you'd expect, they're more prepared for the tournament as a whole as compared to if they maybe spent an entire week knowing who their opponent was going to be and they spent 90% of their time focusing on one team, one style. So he kind of likes that element of it. And, you know, you kind of have the luxury of being able to say that when you're going to be heavily favored against teams you beat by an average of about 30 points when you play them in the regular season. I was going to say, when you look at that top half of the bracket that JMU is in, JMU, Elon Hofstra, Towson, Delaware, that's probably what Sean O'Regan prefers, as opposed to if you look at the bottom where you got Drexel and UNCW, some teams that, that maybe could give JMU a little bit of problem. Mm-hmm. You don't see them into the championship round. I could be wrong here, but that's that's kind of how I see it in my assessment of it. Yeah, that um, it's kind of interesting because UNCW's win over JMU gave them a tiebreaker and a three-way tie, so they got the third seed, and it kind of maybe JMU a favor because it stuck them on the other side of the bracket. And they're a team that gives JMU a lot of trouble for one reason or another. Um, they're still playing without Sharita Parker, who kind of carried them to the victory in Wilmington. But uh, they played JMU really tough here in Harrisonburg. So um, having them on the other side, having them having to get past Drexel to get to the championship game where they would see JMU if that happened, that that probably uh, worked out in JMU's favor to see the bracket break down like that. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's really interesting. Who are some of the key players outside of, I guess, Smalls? And, I, I, let's just say outside of Smalls. Key players, Jamie, needs to be good in this tournament. Uh, help Smalls carry the Dukes through, through you know, three games in three days. Um, you know, it, it always helps when they get scoring from other places. Uh, Lexi Barrier and Jackie Benitez are both averaging double figures. Um, they're, when... One or both of them is on and shooting well from the three-point range that really makes JMU tough to beat. But um, I would probably say the key might be uh, Kayla Cooper-Williams just because when she's in foul trouble, it happens time to time. That's when the dynamic of JMU changes. She's such a rim protector. I mean, she changes so many shots. I mean, she's blocked 80-some shots already this year. But 
she's changed hundreds when you look at that. I mean, you could see it in their game against Delaware. There's some times where they were driving to the basket and they saw her coming and they kind of just threw it off the backboard like and panic. And, you know, she doesn't get a block shot or any kind of stat on that. But that's the kind of difference she makes to this team. And she's a terrific rebounder. Yeah. Averaging nearly 10, board, 10 rebounds a game. Does JMU have anyone else that can kind of help down there and then do something if, if she does get in foul trouble? Yeah, I mean, uh, Devin Merritt's also a really good post player. Um, you know, her averages are, are solid, you know, mainly just because there's not, you know, a ton of shots to go around for everybody. But she's, you know, maybe a little bit more of a scorer than Kayla. But um, she's also a really good rebounder, and she can step up in that regard. Um, it's a little bit tougher for her to play, you know, 30 minutes a game. So they definitely like when they have both of those. And, um, you know, they've got some bench players. Their guards are good rebounders. They're just a Kamaya, Kamaya rebounds the ball yeah. pretty well for a guard. She gets in there and knows how to follow her own shot, I think, They're, pretty they're well. a good rebounding team. So as good as Kayla is, at you know, averaging almost 10 rebounds a game, there's people who can step up in that regard. But just her presence in there is a big one for them. And it's the style of play, you know. You know, they kick it into her. She kicks it out. She's a good passer on the interior, even if she's not always looking for her own shot. Um so keeping her out of foul trouble is probably a big key, you know, beyond, you know, hoping Kamaya is healthy and hoping everybody's healthy. Toughest game for JMU before they get to the championship, what would you what do you think the toughest opponent would be of those of those five teams or those four teams that I mentioned? Um probably Towson. Okay. I mean Towson's got a lot of size. They they uh those are competitive games. They won in overtime here in Harrisonburg. Um but, you know, I think they played a lot better at Towson. Uh, maybe figured some things out about going against you know Towson size, and it's not just heights that Towson has. Their you know girls who are able to use their um, use their body and you know use their hips, get some space in there, um, which is not always you know JMU strength. You know they're you know you look at Kayla Cooper Liam, she's six two, but she's a lean six two, and she uses her arms and her legs and her feet to get position. And sometimes it can be tough going against you know maybe a little bit wider bodies down low. Um, so Towson, I would say, is probably the team that has the best chance of knocking them off before the finals. Who do they play, you think, on Thursday? Who, who, who would be your guess, Elon or Hofstra? My guess would probably be Elon. I think they're a little bit better than Hofstra. Hofstra and Charleston were kind of clearly the bottom two teams in the league um, You know, going in. Other than Hofstra seemed to have a good matchup against Northeastern for some reason. They swept uh, you know, a pretty decent Northeastern team. Um, to get you know two wins and uh, three wins in the conference total, and that got them up to the number nine seed. Um, but otherwise, they were probably like probably arguably the worst team in the conference. Who's your sleeper in the tournament? Mm, good question. I'm, I might go with UNCW just because you know if they get far enough to play JMU in a championship game, that's going to be you know a very hard hard fought physical um, you know hotly contested game and then just like the first two they played and you know they're the one team that knows they can beat JMU and they'll come in with a lot of confidence and uh really with nothing to lose and that'd be an interesting fun matchup if it does get that far yeah I think I think that is that that is the one to watch because just just because of the fact that they've already beaten JMU and they, they know how to do it yeah when all is, is said and done you think James Madison is the tournament champ to follow up their their regular season champion I think they will be. It's a, it's been a really focused group all season, but especially since you know conference play began, they they finished their non-conference kind of at a low point with a 
loss to Wake Forest where you know they missed a couple free throws down the stretch. They lost a loose ball, and it was kind of just like a fluky ending. They lost by one point, and since then they've really been like focused. They haven't been out-rebounded again all season because um, they just really, I think, have figured out the things they need to do to win, and I don't see like any lack of focus going into this. If they don't win it, this is something we've talked about for the past couple of weeks. We've we've mentioned the women's tournament, when the women's team, excuse me. If they don't win the tournament, do you think the program feels that they've done enough to to get an at-large bid? I think they feel deserving, but I don't know if they feel confident that they will get it locked up. You know, it's up to the selection committee. It's up to what they decide to value. You know, from a year-to-year basis when they sit down and start going through teams, or you know, and, and what's Frank, their what's their best win? Their best win this year, um, best non-conference win would be Georgetown right now. Um, best uh, conference win is you know sweeping Drexel. Uh, Drexel's got an RPI in the 60s right now. I haven't checked today yet, but uh, they're they're up there. Um, so they don't have a you know any necessarily marquee victory, but they have some solid quality victories. They um, haven't had a bad loss since November, which I you know, think should count for something. Um, yeah. Yeah, and with an RPI of 26 right now, 25, um, can't drop too much farther than that unless they like really do something crazy like lose to Foster or Elon. Yeah, um, I would think that they would be deserving. It's just a matter of uh, if the selection committee agrees. What? You know, let, let's let's just. I guess we'll, we'll kind of go here anyway. Uh, your thought about where they would maybe end up. Uh, if they do get in either way as an at-large or an automatic qualifier? Um, it's hard to say right now. Like, I think everybody around here would be hoping that they stay somewhat regional. They're, um, what, are the, what are the regional options? Knoxville, College Park? Well, Maybe not Knoxville. Not Knoxville, yeah. They're going to be on the bubble with JMU yeah. if they don't, don't win their uh, conference tournament. But, um, yeah, College Park is probably going to be hosting like early rounds. Um NC State and Raleigh, um, South Carolina is probably a good bet to host. You, you mentioned the bracketology oh, earlier. Yeah, Charlotte that, that had them in Charlotte. Uh, South Carolina is going to host there because their arena is not available. Um, beyond that, you know, some of the ones that might be a little bit further drive, but you know, doable. Uh, Louisville will probably be hosting. Um, Connecticut, you know, that's that's a ways, but it's you, you may want to avoid stay, Connecticut. <laughs> staying on the East Coast that way, um, but. Uh, yeah, you know, um, the, you mentioned Connecticut and Louisville, though. Those are probably number one seeds. So unless JMU plays their way up to the 8-9, they're probably not going to be in a location like that. You're looking at, you know, those teams that are going to host in the 3-4 range probably. And that's where, like, Maryland, NC State, some of these teams yeah. come in. And that's that's where you got a chance for maybe a little magic and, 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 and make a deep run uh, in the NCAA tournament. Uh, so, so what's the plan? Go up there tomorrow. Uh, and, and stay until JMU wins or loses? Yeah, that's the plan. Um, yeah, I plan on being there through Saturday. I expect them to be playing on Saturday. And, uh, yeah, then then we'll be back here. I'll be back in town Saturday night waiting around for Monday to see what the NCAA tournament selection says. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be fun to watch it all play out. Uh, one team that you don't have to worry about an NCAA selection show is uh, for is, is the men's team. Uh, they finished this past weekend, beat Towson in the CA tournament, then lost uh, at the top seeded Hofstra. They finished fourteen and nineteen, uh, six and twelve. You had a story in a paper today. 
kind of just assessing this season a little bit and also what they bring back uh, for next year. Just kind of your thoughts on, on what the year was for the men and and what positives there were, what took down kind of that, what was their downfall, the inconsistencies, just, just kind of the overall thoughts there. Yeah, like it's pretty much like you said, it was the inconsistency. It was, you know, inconsistency from game to game, but also in games. They, you know, would go to Towson and be up 15 points early and end up losing that game. And, you know, or they'd get down by a team and like make a, you know, big comeback and not be able to finish it off. It just, it was just hard to tell what you were going to get from them from half to half, let alone, you know, weekend to weekend. And, you know, they're young. You would think that maybe that'll get a little bit better next season as they're going to be more of a veteran group. And they're going to be more of a veteran group compared to what they are this year, but they also will be more of a veteran group compared to the league overall, which was very senior-laden uh, for the most part. You know, you look at the all-conference teams, like – other than, you know, Matt Lewis making it as a third team as a sophomore and Charleston's Grant Riller making it as a junior, it was pretty much all seniors on the rest of the list. And, you know, um, so there'll be some teams bringing some guys back. Uh, you know, Nathan Knight also, first team as a junior, is really good. Uh, William & Mary should be pretty much loaded next year if all their guys return. But um, you look at who's coming back, and you think JMU has a shot to be a top half of the conference team next year. Yeah, that, that's something Lewis Rowe definitely needs for sure. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what the men kind of do this offseason, if they can keep everybody together. I think that's a huge key for them also, uh, is trying to keep this nucleus together that's stuck through some hard times. Yeah, and that's going to be the case. You know, I was just talking to uh, Jason Kretsch, the uh, sports information director for the men's basketball team, and you know, we, kinda, we were talking about who we think is going to be good next year, and then we both kind of agreed. But you got to wait and see who transfers in and who transfers out. Especially because, because the, the, the power, I guess you call it power five, if yeah. we use football terms, but uh, those power five schools kind of raid the mid-majors, especially it's been in a, a, a hard thing for the mid-majors to deal with in recent years. Yeah, and you know, I don't even know for sure, you know, juniors that are coming back who will have graduated and have that, you know, immediate eligibility option. Um, but then the conference also received some transfers, you know, in the past, you know, uh, you look at a guy like Jaquil Taylor, who has really been a big key for Hofstra underneath, didn't get a ton of playing time at Purdue for three years, graduated, came in here, um, and was, you know, one of the best rebounders and best uh, defenders in the conference. And, you know, because he was playing behind, you know, future NBA big men at Purdue, he didn't get much of a shot. But, you know, nobody was really expecting that out of Hofstra, and he ended up being like a pretty big key to them making a run to the top of the league. Speaking of Hofstra, who, who who you got tonight? You got you got the Pride. You got Northeastern. What's what's your take? I might be leaning towards Northeastern right now. They just they've been playing really well um, down the stretch. They're starting to get healthy. Sean Osi has had a good game for them in the semifinals. Who you know, I had him on my uh, first team all conference in the preseason, and he's been hurt all year. hasn't really done much, and like he looked like an all conference player. You know, last night in the uh, semifinals. So if he's playing well, I think Northeastern is going to be a tough team to beat. And, you know, they might be the kind of team that can surprise somebody in the NCAA tournament if they make it just because, you know, people are going to look at their overall record and who they beat in the non conference and think, not think much of them, but they're going to be a much different team than they were at that point. Interesting, interesting. So Hofstra Northeastern uh, for the CA men's bid tonight. 
uh, CAA Men's Championship tonight. Uh, that's down in North Charleston uh, where JMU season ended a couple of days ago. Some other college notes uh, I wanted to get to. Uh, JMU baseball, they're 10-5 and five right now, uh, playing Lehigh as, as we speak. They've won three of four uh, since being swept at Louisville, which, which was a very tough series for them. And they'll go to Cal State Fullerton this week. So a big weekend uh, for the baseball team ahead. I also just got done speaking with EMU baseball, uh, Jalon Lee. Uh, an outfielder for, for Eastern Mennonite. Uh, leads the ODAC in home runs. Is top five in Division three in home runs uh, with six so far in, in, in only a month in. And that, that's a lot in college baseball. So pretty impressive uh, there for Jalon Lee. I'll have a story on that in tomorrow's paper. Uh, and, of course, uh, the big news out of Eastern Mennonite today, they're adding women's triathlon. Could you, could you do a triathlon, Shane? Probably not. Not only because I'm just not in great shape, I've never been a great swimmer, so uh, that would be my downfall. And that even if I got into like the kind of shape I was in when I was in my early 20s, uh, that would be tough. Yeah, I'm I'm only a few years removed from my prime, but I, I it's safe to say that that's not going to happen for me uh, as 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 the triathlon. But, but interesting, only the tenth school in Division Three to add women's triathlon. So yeah, it, it's pretty popular um, just around Virginia. You see like a lot of you know. Um, I guess amateur triathlons, and you see the, the U.S. Uh, triathlon stickers and car windows occasionally. I know when I worked in Culpeper, it was really big there um, as just a recreational thing. So, you know, it might be a good way to draw in some students for them. Yeah, so, so that's going on at EMU, and they'll start this fall. Uh, what else will start this fall is, is another season of James Madison football. And the Dukes, they start spring practice on Thursday. Uh, we don't cover that here on, on the Rocktown Sports Pod because I cover it all on the Walkthrough Podcast. So anything JMU football related, you can get there. I had one up last week uh, previewing the spring. And, and all the, the football preview stories uh, getting into the spring, uh, they'll, they'll start on Thursday under new coach Kurt Signetti. So plenty going on. It's that, it's that time of year, Shane. Yep, yeah, keeping us busy. I um, guess, you know, the high school winter sports wind down and then it's uh, right into spring stuff. And same with the college, too. I mean, uh, I feel like I'm missing stuff by going to the women's tournament because there's so much going on here at JMU this weekend with softball and lacrosse and baseball and everything else. Yeah, you'll get into that once, 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 the, yeah. women, uh, once the women's season comes to an end, whenever, whenever yeah. that is, you'll jump in on lacrosse and softball. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've, you know, been to one lacrosse game so far and uh written about some softball but i haven't seen him play yet i'm kind of kind of a little bit disappointed well, they also haven't had a home game yeah yet. i'm gonna miss them this weekend when they're here but um yeah they'll they should be a fun team to watch all year so as shane mentioned a lot going on crossover season at the college level with the spring sports and the winter sports basketball wrapping up with the ca tournament on the women's side you got the, the spring sports baseball softball lacrosse full go uh this past week at the high school level Winter sports finally wrapped up uh, with the high school basketball, Virginia High School League State Tournament coming to an end. And you got spring sports now starting as I bring in Cody Elliott. Uh, how are you, Cody? This is prep writer at the DNR. 
Oh, I'm doing I'm doing great, man. Uh, very little rest. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I was gonna say, are, are you settled in Harrisonburg again? I I, I know you were living in Richmond for a, for a week there, or so. Yeah, I'm, I'm back in Harrisonburg, and hopefully, you know, at least a couple weeks, I'll be here um, for good. So hopefully, no more uh, long long distance trips for a while. I think I had four trips to Richmond in seven days, so quite the run there. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you, you should have just set up shop there. Yeah. Hope get a hotel. Uh, then the but I, I digress. Anyway. Uh, let, let's just start with, with softball, baseball. We'll get to the hoops in a minute and kind of put a bow on that uh, on the season for the Spotswood girls and the East Rock boys. But uh, let's start with softball and baseball because, yeah, you already had games in the le- games uh, going on around the city and county uh, yesterday. Uh, Monday was, was kind of the season opener where teams could start playing games. you got games going on today. I looked at the schedule this morning in the paper, and it was totally filled. Uh, so no rest for you, Cody. Uh, right on from, from basketball uh, to, to baseball and softball, and I think soccer as well. Uh, this time of year at the high school level in Virginia. So let's start, let's start with softball because this area has a couple of teams that I think uh, and I know you think can maybe contend for a state championship. I know it's early, but this is kind of a preview season outlook, so we can get a little crazy. Uh, what's kind of your overall assessment of the teams in the area? Just kind of looking at, at, at the five main teams that, that we cover at the DNR. Yeah, I think on uh, in terms of baseball and softball, I think on both sides, Turner Ashby has the teams that are you know most equipped to make a deep run. Um, you know, the TA girls, they went to the quarterfinals last year. Um, they bring back pretty much all of that roster. They, I think they lost three seniors. and But, they, I mean, they've got two Division One players on that team, a ton of sophomores that played as freshmen. I think they played six freshmen last year on that team. So um, a lot of experience there. Uh, Clint Curry, obviously, if, uh, as you, if you read my story today, wasn't too thrilled uh, with the way they've approached practice early this season. But, um, you know, I think it's safe to say they'll get that uh, taken care of as the year goes along. And I think they're um, definitely a favorite um, to make a return to the softball state tournament. And then, you know, on the baseball side with Andrew Armstrong and, and that group over there, um, they lost three or four key pieces, but they're, again, um, kind of the premier program right now for baseball around the area. And um, I think another uh, run to the state tournament could be expected on that side as well. So I think, yeah, Turner-Ashby on both sides um, is kind of the, the state uh the state team to watch in terms of that level um and then you've got you've got some decent teams um behind them on both sides i mean uh the broadway baseball team and broadway softball team will both be decent um you know broadway softball is another one that could potentially i I could see sneaking into the state tournament um and then you've got uh spotswood softball is under a first year coach spotswood baseball um has got some some good talent there and then um, Harrisonburg, unfortunately, the, the softball program uh, is under a first-year coach. They've got some work to do, and then their baseball team is very, very young. Um, they've got a, a decent amount of talent, but they've, they've got five or six freshmen on the team, so I think some growing pains are expected. And then you look over in the Shenandoah District with both East Rock teams um, in Class 2, I think both of them have a chance to you know, at least make some noise into the regional run. And then you know, I think if the pass has proven anything, it's that if you get out of the Shenandoah, um, you know, you've got a chance at making a run at the, at the state level in Class 2. He just ran through it all. Yeah. How about that? Um, it, it, as far as let, – let, let's talk softball for a minute and then go to baseball. Softball, obviously Turner Ashby, as you mentioned, the, the class, the, the cream of the crop uh, when it comes to softball in the area. But that – Broadway team, and and you know how that rivalry is between Turner Ashby and Broadway and softball. When you look at that 
that rivalry and how they go back and forth. And there's good pitching on both sides. How does that rivalry kind of stack up to some of the other rivalries in the area when you look at when you look at other <laughs> sports? Because those two teams, they don't like each other. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, you know it might not be as um, you know high profile might not get as much as much attention because it's not one of the you know the, the basketball rivalries or the football rivalries but man i mean that, that when you talk about a, a pure rivalry where the where two teams <laughs> truly don't don't necessarily see eye to eye on a lot of things i think you know ta broadway softball is certainly one of them and uh you know they've got both of those teams are very very good both of them are very well coached and um i think what's interesting about both those teams is, is i think it might go back a little further than just you know, now at the varsity level, because when you look at both these teams, like I mentioned earlier, you see a lot of sophomores. Um, TA has six sophomores that are that played a lot last year. Um, Broadway's got a lot of sophomores that are playing this year. Um, Taylor Hankins leads the way for them, the JMU commit. So I think you know maybe that maybe all those girls being in that same age range that could go back to travel ball days, back to when they were younger. So yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely uh, I think it's up there in terms of <coughs> the local. Uh, Prep sports rivalries, I guess you could say. Yeah, it's interesting. Turner Ashby, as you said, two uh, Division One commits for Turner or signees, excuse me, for for Turner Ashby. Uh, that's Sizik, the pitcher, and Davis, the third baseman. How are those two kind of kind of set themselves up as leaders of of Turner Ashby this year? Yeah, I think arguably you're looking at you know maybe the area's best pitcher and the area's best hitter there in terms of softball wise. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that they are they kind of have separated themselves as the best players, and that's what makes Turner Ashby so elite. And then, like I said, you add in so many young players that are coming along with them. Um, you know that I think, at, especially in this area, you get one or two Division One players. That's enough to really separate you from everybody else. And that's the case certainly with TA this year. On the baseball side, who's who's the best hitter in the area? Who's the best pitcher in the area? Uh, what do what do you kind of what do you kind of look and see when, in terms of talent? Uh, in the city county, yeah, I mean, there's, there's obviously, a, I think there's some good pitchers, you know, a little bit everywhere. Um, you know, TA's got a decent pitching staff, and I, I think, you know, Dalton Jefferson, the basketball standout, is, is among the best pitchers in the area over at East Rock. So I think he's certainly one to watch out for. Um, in terms of hitters, I think you've got to look at Bryce Suiters, um, the JMU commit at Broadway. He's only a sophomore, but he led the city county last year in hit and batting average. Um, you know, I think he had six or seven home runs. He led the team in RBIs. Um, you know, he just he doesn't look like a sophomore. His, his his build is not that of a sophomore, and I think he's primed for a really big year. Um, I know he's put in a lot of work in the off season. You know, with different different travel organizations, um, trainers, doing stuff like that. Um, actually, just got word recently that he wasn't playing football this upcoming year, so he could focus more on baseball. So um, he's really dedicated to the sport, and I think uh, yeah, I would definitely say he's probably the best hitter right now in the area. So Jefferson, man, he no break for him at all. Yeah. Right, right on from from basketball to baseball, and let's let's talk about the hoops and kind of put a bow on the hoop season now. Uh, let's start with East Rock since we're talking about Jefferson. Uh, they fell seventy four to fifty to Radford at the Siegel Center this past Saturday. Uh, Radford's Quentin Morton Robertson. Just went off. 41 points. Cody, you said he couldn't miss, huh? Yeah, I mean, it was one of the more impressive performances. And, I mean, I, I sat there a year ago and watched Mac McClung take on Lee in the state championship. And I think this one ranks right up there with that, um, just in terms of where Mac was impressive because of his athleticism and his, his dunks and all of that. This guy was just, I mean, he's listed as 5'8". He probably isn't any taller than 5'6". He was... 
you know, he had Dylan Williams, Tyson McNair, Griffin Morris, all these guys just draped on him, and he was just, you know, if he had, you know, a foot of separation, it was it was going through the net. And um, I think that's what was most impressive is he, they weren't running set plays, setting him up in the corner, you know, finding ways to get him the ball. It was him bringing the ball up the court in, <laughs> in ISO situations, almost James Harden style, just pulling back and hitting hitting these deep threes. And, I mean, there were several times where he was hitting 25, 26-foot jumpers and you know, I asked Kerry Keys after the game if he thought his team could have done anything more. And he said, you know, outside of a couple plays where he thought maybe they could have switched a little harder or something, he thought, you know, it was one of those games where you just got to shake your head because I, I don't think there was any team that could have came in there that night and um, could have defeated Radford with the way that Quentin Morton Robertson was playing. So East Rock, they finished 26-4. and four. And speaking of Kerry Keys, uh, after the game, he, he kind of just gave a little glimpse on the impact that reaching – a state championship game makes at East Rock. It's history, obviously, for our school. We've been to the regionals every year, four years that I've been. This is the fifth year, so previously we've been four four times. We won one game in regionals two years and, and got beat in the first round two years. Um, so obviously it's school history. Um, we energize the community. I mean, that's the bottom line. It's thousands of fans from Elkton, McGackiesville, Mastodon area. We're here tonight. Um, so anytime you can energize a community, um, it's special. So I, I told the guys before the game, um, this is a night. There's going to be a handful of um, nights or uh, experiences in your life that you're never going to forget. Well, this is going to be one that these guys are never going to forget. One of Key's, I guess, staple players, not, not only this year, but as he's grown the program, has been Dalton Jefferson. How would you kind of sum up his basketball career, his hoops career at East Rock? Uh, I mean, for a school that opened in 2010, so you're looking at 10 years now of them being open, nine, 10 years. They, um, I mean, I think he goes down as one of the, the program's best players. Um, he ranks second all time in scoring. He's first in rebounding, first in block shots. Um, he's just, and throughout his time there, they've done nothing but win and continuously get better and reach, you know, more more heights throughout the postseason. Um, I, I don't. I just think in terms of overall player, even this year, as as great as Nickel was offensively, I think when you look at the overall value that Dalton brought, just in terms of scoring points, uh, hitting hitting threes, blocking shots, uh, defensively, um, leadership. I mean, I just think he was too, so valuable to that team this year, and uh, you know, I think he's a big reason why they obviously got to the state championship. And you know, I think it's hard to put into words what he meant to the program. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he easily goes down as one of the the program's best of all time. Yeah, it's, it's even something Carrie Keys had trouble putting into words uh, post game. This was Carrie Keys on on the all the East Rock uh, veteran uh, Dalton Jefferson, whose career came to an end in the state championship game. I set him a little bit when he got his fourth, but we were going to roll. <laughs> I mean, he he's been such a huge part of our program. Um, he knows I love him. Uh, he's he's got a bright future ahead of him. Um, it, it was it was hard to swallow that that he wasn't going to be able to finish uh, the the game the entire game, um, but but he left his heart on that floor. We talked about before the game not leaving that court with any regrets, and I don't think we did. I mean, we we, we battled to the end, and he he's been a tremendous player for us, um, and he, he's been a big brother to Tyler and Tice, and I couldn't be more proud of him for for he's the all-time leading rebounder, all-time leading uh, block shots. 
Um, and I think second all-time leading scorer. So those numbers speak for himself. But more than anything, he's a great young man, and I love him to death like I love all my players. Moving forward, Tyler Nickel, East Rock, how, how do you kind of see it? Uh, big picture for them, Tyce McNair. Uh, what do you think is kind of the outlook as, as you look toward next year and uh, what will be a season where they have everybody, you know, kind of aiming at them, especially in the Shenandoah, well, not the Shenandoah district. It'll be the Bull Run district. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think they've done, they've got their hands full in terms of replacing some of those, those role players, and, you know, a guy like Dalton's never going to be easy to replace. Um, I mean, they only played eight players consistently this year, and, and six of them are graduating. So they've definitely got their work cut out for them in that. Um, there were some guys that didn't get playing time this year that, that were certainly had the chance to contribute next year and I think be good players. You know, you've got Kyle Evick, a transfer from T. And Matthew Good, a couple of those guys who I thought showed promise, but they just were were young and and Kerry didn't like going much deeper than they got. So that was it was just a simple matter. There weren't enough minutes available. Um, but the way Tice kind of came on at the end of the year at the point guard spot and hit the way his games continued to develop, and then obviously Tyler just continued to improve throughout the year. And I mean, twenty three points in a state championship game as a freshman is certainly nothing to to shy away from in terms of what that what that means. So, you know, you bring back those two, I think that they, they're going to be one of the best one-two duos in the area. Um, and at the Class 2 level and the Bull Run and the Shenandoah, I think they certainly can still compete. And then, like I kind of said earlier with baseball, if Class 2 has shown anything over the past few years, is if you get out of that district and those, those regions, um, you know, that Bull Run, Shenandoah area, if you get out of there, I think you have a chance to, you know, to make it anywhere, so... On the other hand, a tough, tough night for East Rock this past Saturday. Uh, on the other hand, Thursday night for Spotswood Girls uh, was a great night for the Trail Blazers. Uh, beat Hopewell 66-56 in the Class 3 Girls title game. Uh, the fifth championship in Spotswood history. Uh, 28-1 finish uh, over over the season. Uh, when you look at it, it's it's kind of... Uh, the, the, the teams, the, the areas, I guess, most prestigious team uh, with, with great tradition and history is, is back on top. Yeah, I mean, and they, they've they been the best. And, uh, you know, they won their first one in 2005, and then they didn't get back until uh, – they got back, but they didn't win another one until 2013. And then now they've won now four out of the last seven years. So, um, you know, you've got, you've got to respect what Chris Dotson has built over there and, and the program that he's got. And I think, you know, he, he continuously throughout the season, when I talked to him about it, he always talked about how it, it starts with the young kids for them and this AU program that Spotswood has and how they start working with them at such a young age. And um, even at, even two days after the state championship win on Saturday morning, you know, he, he posted a picture on his Twitter account of, the girls were back working with these five and six year olds, teaching them the offense, the spots would run. So, I mean, it, it's it's insane. I mean, you don't see very many other programs in the around the area doing that, um, that type of dedication, that type of commitment. Um, you know, the, the, several of those players are, are working with trainers throughout the all season. Um, they're putting in that extra work that you just don't see a lot of athletes these days, especially in this area, put in and, and willing to do consistently throughout the year. Um, and I think it shows, obviously, when they get to that level. Um, you know, that fourth quarter, especially in that game, was just a clinic. Um, and they, they really, I mean, I thought, you know, you could really see the how elite they were in that quarter and, and the way they were just kind of able to take their game up another notch and, and really put it away. Yeah, Dodson, after the game, uh, spoke about that fourth quarter and how he thought his team's defense was the difference. Realized number four went left, number three went right, and that they were going to take the most amount of shots. We uh, at some point forgot that we were supposed to deny touches, and we started to deny their touches. And 
What we said in the scouting report was, you know, 15, 10, 1. These guys had to beat us. You know, and sometimes it's hard for kids to understand when they make a shot or so early. That's okay. We want them to keep shooting because their best players are not. And late in the fourth quarter, their best player, their, the player, their, their role players were taking the shots instead of their best players. Didn't it didn't hurt spots with it? Stephanie Oderkirk played played played, played pretty well, uh, and and the rest of the role players, uh, Freeze, Bennington, Horton, Gray, uh, kind of all filled their roles as they've done all season. Uh, what was your take being there uh, and watching it unfold in that in that final stanza? Yeah, I thought Stephanie really. This whole postseason has been really her coming out party. We've talked about it before on this podcast about how. She didn't necessarily dominate throughout the regular season, but then, you know, something when this postseason came on, a light flip switched. And, um, you know, she has just been absolutely, I mean, it's unstoppable this postseason. I mean, 24 points, 13 rebounds in the state championship. Um, Hopewell had some size, and they were athletic, and they, they blocked some shots early. Um, but Stephanie, I mean, she was just so smooth with the ball. It was one or two steps, and she was you was finding up her shots. Um, she was fading away. Um, you know, she's really kind of shown in this these past two, three weeks why she's a Division One um, prospect. And, you know, like I said, then you add in Gray, who I thought did a great job just in terms of all the little things in that game specifically. Um, she's obviously a very talented player. She's going to Concord next year to play, so she's very capable. And then Lexi Bennington-Horton really in the, in the semifinals and the finals I thought showed that ability that, you know, Dotson had kind of been looking for all year in terms of she could be a big-time scorer. Um, she had 18 points in the state championship, so that was big. And then Mackenzie Freeze doing what she always does, just running the show, kind of being that leader. Um, it was just an all-around team effort for them, and um, I thought really, you know, it, it showed why a lot of those players are considered some of the best in the area, and I think it sets them up for you know a possible repeat next year. Yeah, Gray, uh, it's her second state title, one with Broadway a couple of years ago. Uh, this was Nikayla Gray on on winning. Uh, her second title uh, in, a, in, a, in a high school career. With someone like Steph on our team, it's very easy to get passive and think, okay, she's got it. So when she's having games like tonight where she's just killing it and like she's just killing it, everyone is, um, I don't try to force my shots and I find other ways to help the team and benefit the team. So tonight it was rebounding because we needed those extra possessions like they were getting on their side. So. How would you kind of put her career, uh, sum up her career? Because that's that's pretty rare, right? Yeah, I mean, I never did get to go back and look it up, but I uh, that's what I was getting at. I, but I didn't want to put the pressure yeah, on it. I talked to Jim about that on the way down to Richmond, but um, you know, it's funny because I I, w- I could almost be I'd be willing to bet that there's not there hasn't been many players who have won state championships with multiple schools at all, and much less as a very valuable piece on both teams. Um, you know, she played. It wasn't like she didn't play on that Broadway team. She was a key member. Um, you know, she played a key role in getting that win for them. And then uh, comes the Spotswood, where you know Dotson made sure to remind us that she grew up in. She used to be there before. Um, so she comes back to Spotswood with these kids that she grew up playing with, and. You know, then she wins another one to cap off her high school career. So, I mean, it's just impressive. I've I've been impressed with Nikayla for for all, the whole entire season. Um, I thought really throughout the regular season, I thought she was Spotswood's best player. Um, you know, with the way that you know Stephanie wasn't having the year she wanted, Nikayla kind of stepped up, took control scoring wise. She did, like I said, she did all the little things, and I thought that championship game was just really symbolic of the. the kind of the sacrifice she she took with this team and the willingness she you know took to just do whatever it takes to win um and it showed in that championship game 
Yeah, so Spotswood, 28-1 and a state title. That's that that that'll work. That that's a pretty good year. Uh you, you expect them to be in the mix again next year. Yeah, I do. I think they lose Nikayla and they lose obviously Mary Ruth Shifflett, another key defensive piece. Um, but outside of that, they've got Oderkirk back, Bennington Horton back, Freeze back, um, Abby Branner, who was a really good role player off the bench as a sophomore. She's she's got potential to be a really good player in the district. Um, you bring all those pieces back, Rebecca Weaver. Um, you know they've got a chance to be really really special again next year. And depending, you know what Stephanie does with her game, I mean she could take it to another level as well. So um, yeah, I would say they're definitely an, a favorite to uh, possibly get back to Richmond next year, maybe even repeat. All right, Cody, good stuff. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod. Uh, For Shane, who you heard from earlier on the JMU Women, and for Cody, who you just heard from on the prep sports in the area, I'm Greg Medea saying thanks for tuning in.